Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Have you ever believed in something that was false? Like somebody told you something and you believed it 100% and then you just went out and you just told everybody else that same thing. And like, and why did you do that? Because you trusted in their authority when they told you something and then you decided to tell someone else. Um, I was thinking about um, how easily, easily impressionable I was even as a young child, like things that I would believe because either people told me or I saw. And one of the things that popped in my head was that I believed that the moon was made of cheese. Very good. And why did I think that? Like, where there's no scientific proof to that whatsoever. I think I saw it probably in a cartoon or something, and then that was like, oh, that's my authority. So it is made of cheese. So I will tell everybody else it is made of cheese. Um, another thing that I kind of took with authority was that um, I believe that if you ate raw spinach out of a can, that it would instantly give me strong muscles and be able to do very powerful things. Now, this was... Um, my impression from Popeye, like that is what I saw and that's what I thought would happen. And I remember very clearly being in kindergarten because I remember the house that I was in and I told my mom to go buy spinach because I'd seen this, I knew it would work. And I opened the can, that slimy mess of spinach and I ate it and being terribly disappointed because nothing at all happened. So we believe things like that and, um, and why? Because we think it has an authority when uh, we learn it. Um, I, I looked this up this past week, things that we believed or were taught that are false. And I looked at this list and I'm like, yes, these are a lot of things that I thought were absolutely true. Um, I thought that Isaac Newton discovered gravity by ap- an apple hitting him on the head. Like, I thought that that was true. I thought that was a fact. And I don't know if anybody else here thought that. It is not true because he actually, in his memoir, he talked about an apple falling, but then nowhere does it say it hit him in the head. Um, I, my mom actually uh, made me believe this, that swallowing gum, <laughs> swallowing gum would last, what, seven years in my stomach. Um, not true. And I also believe that George Washington had wooden teeth. Now, how many believe that George Washington had wooden teeth? All right, I am not alone. I'm very thankful in that. It was not true, but all of these things I believed. Why? Because it was told to me with an authority, and I'm like, oh, that has to be true. One thing specifically I remember as a friend told me that, that then I went and told other people was that he said that the, the blood that's in your body is blue, like, absolutely, it is blue, but it doesn't turn red until it gets oxygen, uh, oxygenated, I guess is the word. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds 100% true because, look, my veins, they're blue, so that makes perfect sense. And I remember telling other people that because I thought it was true. It was not true. Um, I also believe that we only use 10% of our brains. Like, and that is something that, like, I had heard, and then, like, even, like, you see it in movies and stuff. I'm like, that is just not true, the way God has designed our brain and how much we use of it. We can be easily misled when we hear stuff um, and believe it. So when I became a Christian, I was 24 years old when I became a Christian, when I surrendered my life to Christ. And there was one thing that I wrestled with when I became a Christian was evolution. 
because I had been taught for so many years in school that this is fact and this is what you must believe because it is fact. And when I became a Christian, I understood that this is God's word and this is God's authority, even as we talked about over the past couple weeks ago that uh, it is sufficient, it is true. And if you believe it is true, then you look at something like evolution, you're like, well, how can that even work together? I don't even understand it. So I had to like untangle that in my mind. Why? Because it was like fact in, it was put in here by authority and I thought it was true. So we have to be careful with what we put in here and what we believe. Um, When we look at the danger of false teaching, uh, when it comes to the gospel, though, it is dangerous. It's extremely dangerous, and it is something that is very serious. Um, Today, we're going to see the warning from Paul about these false teachers within the church. Um, Paul gives strong words in this letter today as we go through it and what he is talking about. Uh, Now, last week, we finally started 1 Timothy. And uh, in our first week, we went through the first two verses, but then Raleigh really kind of jumped in to explain who Timothy was and really who Paul was and, and how they and their relationship and how they knew each other. That was a great foundation to understand really Paul and where he had come from, from being an enemy and persecuting Christians to then being transformed uh, literally on the Damascus, on the road to Damascus um, uh, by Christ. Um, and so we see his transformation and then made us think about our own transformation. Are we humbled by God? Are we equipped with spiritual insight? Uh, Paul responded to God, and then have we responded? Um, the question that we were left with, where's your relationship with Christ? And I hope that, that was something that you took away and really thought about where your relationship with is in Christ as we look at the relationship of Paul and Christ. Uh, so as we dive into this letter today, we will understand further Timothy and Paul's relationship, like what that mentor kind of relationship was, and really uh, the instruction that Paul gives to Timothy, um, and really how does that relate to us today uh, as a church, and how do we use that for the church? Um, so today's focus is on false teachers, something I'm very passionate about because False teaching is an enemy of the gospel. It is an enemy of the gospel, and it's something we've got to look out for. And it's really this, this charge that he has set up is really uh, sets up the whole epistle as we go through this letter and as we start here. It's all about what? Sound doctrine. And are they sticking to sound doctrine? So what's our big idea today? Our big idea is this. The gospel must be guarded from false teaching. The gospel must be guarded from false teaching. Now, it is a charge. Like, this is like a military term. So when Paul is talking to Timothy, this is something that is not not just a request. uh, You know, I wish you would do this. No, it is a charge. It must be done. Um, So we are called to teach sound doctrine. False teachers are a threat to the gospel. Um, Now, if we look back in Acts, Paul speaks to the elders in Ephesus, and he already knows. He knows what's going to happen. So Acts 20, 29 through 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you uh, and, in front, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Uh, these people were located in the church. Now, a lot of times when I think about false teaching, I'm thinking about like, this is an attack from outside. This is an attack from outside. But you know what? 
Here specifically, as we're looking at, these are false teachers, and this is happening within the church. And we see that as we go through Timothy, and even coming up real soon, we see a clarification on elders, the qualification of elders, and what that looks like. And uh, that's laid out in chapter 3. You see, Paul is cleaning house here, and he's instructing Timothy how to do it as we go through it. So let's break down Paul's instruction to Timothy. So Uh, we will see how Paul exposes the hearts of these false teachers. Uh, Now, remember, this this text is specific to Paul and Timothy's situation. But we also want to look at and say, well, what can we learn about false teachers today in our own context? So we will look at that also. But remember, the gospel must be uh, guarded from false teaching. So let's start in the first two verses, three and four, and we'll read this together, and then we'll go through it and break it down. So as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that it is by faith. So we can see here that this is, and you may not have realized, this is a review for Timothy. So he says, this is as I have urged you. So he already knows this information. So he's writing this letter to him that he will have, and he will present it to the church and read it. Uh, That is why the introduction is so formal and who Paul introduces himself to. Um, We can see that um, right off the bat, it is urged, as I urged you. Now that word right there is very important. Uh, the Greek word is uh, uh, parakaleo, and that is a strong word. So it's, it's urged as in like to beg or entreat, like, listen, I am begging you to stay there, Timothy. Like, and if you can understand that context, you can see that so Timothy really didn't want to stay there. Like this was a hard situation, and we can look at it and understand, okay, he didn't want to be there. So he wants, Paul wants him to remain in Ephesus, uh, and uh, so why would he not want to stay there? Why would he want to leave? Uh, because he had to uh, charge certain persons. So there was a confrontation there that was going to take place that he would have to do. Um, and it is not an easy job to do. And if you think about it, Timothy is young. He's about 20 years old. So if we go to 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, if you look at that, it helps you to kind of understand, like, he's encouraging them to to let no one despise you. Why? Because of your youth, because you're younger. So knowing that, we can see how this would be very intimidating for Timothy to be in charge here and to have to charge certain people with being false teachers. So he may have to remove people like Paul did. Now, as we get later in Timothy, you'll see what, how Paul had to remove people and, uh, and how he charged them. So this was not a desirable job for him. Now, I read this example in a commentary this week, uh, and I want to read it to you. So this is an ad put out by an Arctic explorer, Sir Ernest Shackleton. Man, even the name sounds great. Um, and he was advertising in a London newspaper, and this is what he said. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Now we read that 
ad, and we're like, who would answer that ad? Like, that sounds terrible. But thousands of men responded to this ad. And why did they respond? Not only because of the honor and recognition in case of success, but because of who it was who issued it. Because it was was this Arctic explorer, Sir Ernest Shackleton. So they wanted to to serve under him. They wanted that quest. They wanted that honor. Now, thousands of men responded. Now, if we look at this in in my William Wearsby commentary, he goes on to say that if Jesus advertised for workers, and I thought this was great, it would say this. Men and women wanted for difficult task of helping to build my church. You will often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor, and your full reward will not come till after all your work is completed. It may cost you your home, your ambitions, even your life. Now we look at that and it's like, why would that sounds horrible? But if you understand who gave that charge, we willingly and want to serve our Lord Jesus. So we look at that and why? Because we want to serve under him. So we respond, we respond in that way because of who? That is exactly what Timothy is doing. He is going to stay because of the importance of what he is doing. So Timothy also responds by saying yes, and he stays. Um, There in the scripture it says to charge certain persons, um, not to do what? Not to teach any different doctrine right? So if, what is different doctrine? So you got doctrine, so I would say that is the correct doctrine, and then we got different doctrine. So what do we see here about false teachers? False teachers teach a false gospel. False teachers teach a false gospel. It is a different doctrine. That is the biggest threat to the gospel. That is the biggest threat. Um, His job is to what? To guard the gospel. Uh, And they should not teach different doctrine. It says, nor to devote themselves to what? Myths and endless genealogies. It stirs up speculations. It makes confusion about what's going on. Now, if we look at that, it takes away from the gospel. So if we go further, uh, if we go to the book of Titus, which as we look at three, these three letters, there's these same things are spoken about in all three letters. So it kind of gives a bigger picture if we go to a different book. So in Titus 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Now, it says here from, in Timothy, it just says myths and genealogies. Here it says Jewish myths. So that gives us a little more insight to what that could mean. Jewish myths may be based on Old Testament scripture. It's possible it could be Jewish-type legalism through what? Ancestry. They're looking at their lineage and where they came from and, and uh, looking at that. And also, in my studies, it could be, I saw it could be possible agnostic views that misrepresented God and became myths and just generational stories. Uh, The truth is we don't know what those things are. What we do know is that it pulled away from the gospel. It pulled away from the gospel. It took away and was a distraction. 
and it was a false gospel. So remember, guard the gospel. So we want to be clear. So what is the gospel? So Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Many places we could go to talk about what the gospel means. Here we look at a picture of adoption, right? We know that the gospel, that because we are born into sin, right, because of the fall, because of what happened in the garden, we are all born into sin. There is only one way that we can restore our relationship with God, and that is what? Through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice. He took the, the wrath for our sins, and then what happens? We get righteousness imputed to us. Man, that is a beautiful thing. But you have to surrender to that. You have to call him Lord and have to understand the gospel. That is the gospel. And what these people were doing was taking these myths and endless genealogies and making that the focus of everything that they were talking about. And that is not the gospel. That is a different false gospel. Now, today we see what? We see like a works-based salvation. And when we talk about like other false gospels and what that looks like and how that kind of overlays us today, we can look at different religions that teach work-based salvation. Like Roman Catholics, they think that you have to work. It is a works-based salvation. That is just not true. That is a false gospel. And we look at the prosperity gospel, that God, they, they twist the scriptures in this, and they basically say that God wants you to be what? Rich and healthy, and they, and they do it in a way where they twist the scriptures. That is not the gospel. Actually, if you look at the, the ad that we talked about earlier, prosperity is not promised, right? There will be suffering. We'll have to die to ourselves. We know that that is the gospel, All right, let's go on. Verses 5 and 6. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. So once again, I want to bring up, it says the charge, right? So I want you to see that this is an important thing, talking about the charge. And it says the, the aim is love from three things. Now, those three things are a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Those things are very important. Those are the, the, the motivations behind why we do what we do. And I tell you, when I read that this week, I'm like, well, that's, that's where, like, as a teacher and as a pastor and as a preacher, I need to be on my knees every week. This is where my heart should be, right? So I need to pray, and I did pray this week, for a pure heart, for a good conscience, and sincere faith when I teach and when I preach. But it says certain persons have what? Swerved, right? They have turned away from that. To what? If you think, what is the opposite of those things? It would be an impure heart, a bad conscience, an insincere faith. And what do those things kind of lead into? They lead to what? Vain discussion. So what is vain discussion? It's empty words, pointless babble. Self-centered kind of talk, pointless babble. So 
This points to the false teachers' what? Motives and why they do what they do. So what do we see here about these false teachers? False teachers have corrupt motives. False teachers have corrupt motives. Now, I want to remind you, this is specific to Paul and Timothy's situation. Because we had a discussion in our family as I was going through this because I posed that question. Do all false teachers have corrupt motives? And when we're going through the scripture, this is what Paul is addressing here. But I do believe that people can be misled. People can not understand what they are teaching and what? Teach falsely. Is, there, is it corrupt motives that do that? I don't think so. Not all the time. But here specifically we're talking about corrupt motives. Um, and what is it? It's a heart problem. It is a heart issue. An impure heart leads to bad uh, conscience and what? Insincere faith. All right. So Peter dedicates a whole chapter in uh, his, letter, his second letter of, to false prophets and false teachers. And I would encourage you to read that whole thing. We're going to just focus on the first three verses. So 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So once again, it's this idea of being among, among them who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This is a strong warning from Peter. And we see what? We see the motives here that are behind these false teachers. What? They'll follow their sensuality. What? An impure heart. And also there it talks about, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Once again, it's their motives, that corrupt heart. It is where their heart is. Now, if we are looking to see who false teachers are, Jesus gives us kind of this, this way to look at people and see if we can see false teachers. So Matthew 7, 15 through 20, talks about fruit and teacher's fruit and what that looks like. So let's read 15 through 20 in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by what? By their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by what? By their fruits. So we look at that, there will either be two things, right? There will either be good fruit or there will be bad fruit in the, coming from the false teacher. Corrupt motives will show bad fruit. This is division, right? Selfishness, vain discussion, and as talked about before. So if we look at that, what does that look like today when we are looking for false teaching? One of the things I, I kind of looked at, and I'm like, okay, this is a, kind of a warning to us when you think about fruit, a lot of times you think about the size of a ministry, right? If it's got lots of people in the ministry, then it's got good fruit. Well, no, that's not the way we should look at it. Because false teachers can have large groups of followers. 
Like, so we should be warned. And even Jesus says, what, the road is narrow, right? So it is the heart that reveals the good or the bad fruit. So if you are on TV or if you see a preacher who has a large group of people, they can still be a false teacher. And actually, when there is a large group of people following them, you may want to question because if they're not speaking the truth, maybe it's people following along because they want to follow something that is easier and it is a false gospel. So it is the heart that reveals good or bad fruit. All right, let's go on to verse 7. This explains more about the false teachers and who they are. It says, desiring to be teachers of the law, so they have this desire to do it, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about what they make confident assertions. So it says they desire to be teachers, right, of the law. So what is a teacher of the law? That is a teacher focused on the interpretation of the law. But what's the problem? But without understanding. They don't understand it. So what do we see here about these false teachers? False teachers are ignorant to doctrine. They're ignorant to doctrine. Now, to spot a counterfeit... This is always such a good way to look at this. To spot a counterfeit, you must know the real thing. Like, imagine that I brought in the Mona Lisa, right? The Mona Lisa, and I hung it right here. And then I brought in a counterfeit Mona Lisa, and I put it right here. Now, you could look at both of those, and I could say, well, which one is the counterfeit? And you could look at both of them, and you'd be like, I have no idea. They look the same to me. I really don't know the difference, right? Why? Because you didn't study the original to know it. Like, if you don't know the original, then you won't know the counterfeit. So we must know doctrine in order to know false teachers. All of us should be diving into Scripture, and all of us should be uh, invested into knowing doctrine. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 4. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, or evil suspicions. Now we look at that. Okay, that's bad fruit right there. Talking about what is exposed by uh, corrupt motives, there is bad fruit here. It produces envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. All of these things point to bad fruit. But in verse 4, it says what? He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. You see, this desiring to be a teacher was about what? It was about the job. It was about, I get to have authority. I get to have authority over these people, and I get the title of this. But they really understand nothing about what the gospel is or how to interpret the law correctly. Colossians 2, verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. Notice the strong word captive. Once again, it's like this military, like no one takes you captive, like kidnaps you. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So how do we protect ourselves from being taken captive like that? 
Verses 6 and 7, right before that, says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. We must be rooted, right, in him. That means we must know doctrine. We must know the real thing in order to spot a counterfeit. Another great example is Ephesians 4, 14, and 15. Talking about uh, false teachers, false doctrine, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This image there to be tossed to and fro by these different doctrines, we don't want to be that. What? We want to be steadfast, we want to be firm in our doctrine and what we know. You know, we look on, there's such a difference between even back then and how we view things now. Why? Because, oh, we have the internet. Like, we can go on and watch thousands of different pastors and their different ideas and their different philosophies about everything. We have this, oh, this world open to us of all these different things. Well, you can watch those things, but you must be checking it against doctrine. And you must be double-checking that, it is, that they are not a false teacher in what they are teaching. We must guard against false teaching. So false teachers are ignorant to doctrine. All right, I want to go on to verses 8 through 10, this chunk here, um, and read this to you. Starting in verse 8. Now we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So we see this list here that he has Put, put forth. Now, what I want you to understand, Paul wants to make sure that Timothy knows what? That the law is good, right? He just got done talking about the false teachers, and they want to be teachers of the law, but he wants to say, okay, those are the false teachers, but I want to make sure you understand the law is good. So then what he goes through, and he kind of says, who's the law for? And when we look at this. So as we go through it, Paul wants to make sure that Timothy knows that the law is good. It is used lawfully. If what? Used the correct way. Used the correct way. So what do we see here about false teachers? False teachers misuse the law. False teachers misuse the law. As I said, it is for who? So it is not for the just, for the righteous, but for those who are lawless and disobedient. That's the first thing he says, lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, that's the second pair he says, the unholy and profane. Do you see what he's painting a picture here of who this is for? Now, as he compares this and as he goes through this list, um, it is actually uh, correlates with the Ten Commandments, which I think is very interesting. So I want to read to you Exodus 20, 12 through 17, and see how these two scriptures kind of match up. So starting in verse 12 in Exodus 20, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that, your Lord, uh, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, as we look at those, as we are familiar with the Ten Commandments, how did those line up to what Paul is telling Timothy here? So we see, first of all, commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Well, he says it's for who? For those who strike their fathers and mothers. Commandment number six, you shall not murder. So he says it is for murderers. Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Well, he says for the sexually immoral, for homosexuality. Number eight, you shall not steal. So then he goes on to say enslavers. What is that? That means kidnappers, people who take children. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. That is what? Liars and perjurers. That is, thou shalt not lie. And you see how these God, intersect in what he's doing when he goes through this. And then what does he say at the end? Just in case you missed anything, he says, and whatever else. So he just puts it all in there to include it all. So when we talk about the law and who is for, we have to talk about what is the purpose of the law. So what is the purpose? It is to reveal to us our sin and our need for a savior. That is the purpose, to reveal to us our sin And that we need a Savior because we look at these Ten Commandments and we can't follow the law. Not one of us. Not one of us is righteous. Each and every one of us cannot follow the law. So we need a Savior. Uh, Paul does a great job talking through in in the book of Romans about this. Romans 7, 7 uh, through verse 8 says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known my sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. What is he saying there? The law is good. Why is the law good? Because we see the law and then we recognize that we are sinful because we cannot keep that law. Later on in Romans 7, in verses 15 through 18, it says, For I do not understand my own actions. And I love Paul's transparency here because I can relate to it. For I, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not know, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. What is he saying? He's talking about the indwelling sin that is in us. And the law is what tells us that we are sinful. Paul struggles with the sin, but he knows what? He is saved. Because of why? Because of the gospel. Because of what Jesus did. False teachers abuse the law. So what do they say? How do they abuse it? They say, if you keep it, that you are good. So here's the law, and they say, this is the, these are the commandments, and I do not do these things wrong. And you shouldn't do these things wrong either. And if you don't do these things, then you will be good. And that is what, how they abuse and twist the law. Of course, we know that none of us can keep the law. That is a misuse of the law. 
because that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Not one of us is good. So the law shows us we need a Savior. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. So false teachers misuse the law. Now, I would also think through this. Watch for people taking Scripture out of context. When you are looking for false teachers, and I would say this goes along with misusing the law, because if people are using Scripture and taking it out of context and using it in a way for their own needs or, or their own uh, devices, um, that is not good. That's what a false teacher does. They abuse Scripture for what? For their own gain. And that is really what you see through the, the prosperity gospel, that they take pieces and parts of Scripture and they put it together, and then they put it over here and they say, this is what you need to do. And that is a false gospel. We always need to look where Scripture comes from. Is it in context to who, who wrote it? Who did they write it to? What is around it? And understand that uh, the context of the Scripture. So, false teachers misuse the law. Okay, let's go on to the last verse here, verse 11. Now, he just mentioned sound doctrine, right? So, he says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. Now, this is a, basically a summary of 8 through 10 that he is kind of bringing to a close here. Um, and he says, in accordance with what? The gospel. And he this is, remember, this is where the law, the law points. He just took the law, spelled it out, and it points to where? It points to the gospel. And um, what a way, like, what a way to express the gospel in the way that he writes this out here. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Like, that is just a way that he frames it up beautifully in its glorious way that you understand. That is the true gospel. That is the true gospel. So what do we see here about false teachers? False teachers do not teach the true gospel. False teachers do not teach the true gospel, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. So blessed, if you look at that word, it's only used this way a couple times. It's like this supreme happiness uh, surrounding God that we can't even fathom. The gospel so we've talked about that already. Good news about God's victory over sin and death on behalf of what? Sinful humanity. And it is a glorious gospel. And, and you know what? Paul has experienced that. He knows that. That is why he talks about it in that way. Now, what I love here, and I would have sped right by this. It says, I have been entrusted. I have been entrusted. He's talking about the gospel being entrusted to him. And speeding right through that, you need to stop and really think what he's saying there. Entrusted, it's really committed in trust to me. It's like it's given to him. Like if you just picture in your mind for a minute, like the gospel being handed to Paul, and now he has it in his hands. Like, I have this, now what am I going to do with it? This has been entrusted to me. It is valuable, and what am I going to do with it? And I would say, just like Paul, each and every one of us have been entrusted with the gospel. Like, I would say it has been handed to you. So what are you doing with it? Are you guarding it? Are you protecting it? Are you sharing it? So I have been entrusted, committed in Christ uh, to me. Now, this is a contrast to what? The false teachers. 
False teachers teach a false gospel. Paul has been entrusted with the gospel, and you see that difference there. It has been given to him. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There we hear about the myths again, right? As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So we have this idea of itching ears here. Well, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Now, my wife, when we got married, um, there's things like you don't know, and then when you get married, all of a sudden, oh, you learn about your wife. Like, there's something new that I didn't realize. Well, I learned that, like, she has allergies really bad. So what she does is she, she sticks her finger in her, her little finger in her ear like this, and she goes, and she, like, she does this blowing thing where she's, like, scratch, like, her ears are itching, and she's, like, blowing it out. And the first time I saw her do this, I was like, what are you doing? And then I understood. It was her itching ears. So when you think about itching ears, that is you want to hear something, like your ears are itching, and you want to scratch them. So you want stuff put in them that you want to hear. So these are things that are like wanting, that you are wanting to be, and not true, not necessarily truth. These are things that you want in your ears. So churches uh, can put false teachers into their pulpits, what? To suit their passion. They have itching ears, um, and they turn away from listening to the truth. One of the things that really I have seen that is just like steering this way, and we're, we're watching across denominations and stuff is the, the sin of homosexuality, and it, is, it breaks my heart. Now, people who struggle with homosexuality, I know it is sin. I love people, and I understand that people struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. Everybody struggles with sin. But to start to pull their itching ears and saying, well, homosexuality in the church is fine. Like, that is good. Like, that is not. Those are itching ears that are getting scratched. Like, our truth, we know that homosexuality, even in this scripture that we've come across today, in the list of things that we've talked about, is a sin, and living in sin is not correct. So a lot of itching ears have turned this way to say, well, this is okay now, right? And I just disagree with that. We must be firm in standing in God's word and what we believe. So as we have gone through this, we must guard the gospel from false teaching, False teachers are a threat to the gospel. We have seen that false teachers, what? They, have, they teach a false gospel, right? They have false or they have corrupt motives, are ignorant to doctrine. They misuse the law uh, and they do not teach the true gospel. And what is that? The gospel of glory to God. So what is our next step today as we close? Our next step is this, guard sound doctrine. Remember, I'm using this, like, it's like a military term. I want you to think about it this way. Guard sound doctrine. It is a charge that we have been given. It is a charge that Timothy, or that Paul has given to Timothy, that he must step up to. So what does that mean? So first of all, we must understand sound doctrine. That is the first thing. And we must understand the gospel. You must know it, what the gospel is, and then you must believe it and surrender to it. And if you are here today and you do not understand the gospel and you're saying, I'm hearing this for the first time, I really don't understand, I'd love to talk to you about it and go more in depth with you. So I'd love to talk to you after service. 
But you need to know sound doctrine, which is the gospel. You need to know it and believe it. So first, we must know it. So I'd ask, do you know sound doctrine? Do you feel confident that you know sound doctrine? To know a counterfeit, we must what? We've got to know the real thing. We have to know the real thing. That is why we study God's word week after week. That's why when we meet here and we go line by line, scripture by scripture, we are teaching in context to what? Learn sound doctrine. And that is why we're all growing together in what we are doing. If we know it, we will know if it's out of context or we'll know if it's being misused or we'll know if there's false teaching, right? Raleigh has said it, and I agree 100%. If we are teaching something from the pulpit, that if we say something, and we are not perfect by any means, that come see us or come talk to us about this. Because sometimes I don't want to, I don't want to be a false teacher. And right, that is something that I feel like just like when the gospel is entrusted to Paul, I feel like each one of us are entrusted the gospel. And I want to handle it with care, right, and reverence. And I want to share this thing and speak truth about it. I don't want to speak about it falsely or give a false uh, uh, false words about it. So if you have any questions about anything about the gospel, I would love to talk to you. Then we must guard our hearts and minds against what? False teaching. We got to guard our hearts and we got to guard our minds against false teaching. We got to know it and then we got to guard against it. So we must take up the charge just like Timothy. Guard sound doctrine each and every day in our daily lives. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just thankful. We praise you for this text that we've been able to go through um, today. And we are just blessed to be able to read your word, to learn from it. And Father, we just ask for wisdom from it. Uh, Father, I pray for each and every person here that we will understand the importance of the gospel and how it has been entrusted to us, that it is precious and valuable, Father, more than we could ever know. And help us to treat it that way. Help us to love others, to share the gospel, and to guard the gospel. Father, we just thank you for this time of fellowship where we can come together, we can celebrate and um, worship you today. And we just pray that throughout this week, you will put uh, conversations um, in our days that will glorify you, Father, where we can share the gospel and, uh, and that we can be on guard against the, the false gospel. So, Father, we just love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.